This is the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, Episode 4. We are talking to experiential artist Gosha Walachek. Hello and welcome to the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, a podcast for people curious about art and the lives of artists. In this episode, Senior Curator Danny Lacey talks to artist Gosha Walachek about her 10-day drawing performance, A Through Grey Room, at the MPRG. Gosha talks about how she became an artist and how her work explores the fragility of life. We find out more about how Gosha's practice changed from just observation of reality to being obsessed with being. Her work celebrates the present moment. Gosha's installation will be on display at the MPRG until June 2018. Thanks for joining us today, Gosha. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you again. And lovely to be situated in the MPRG Cafe within your work, A Through Grey Room, which is a 12-month commission that we've undertaken and invited Goshia to make, which has really transformed the MPRG Cafe space. We'll talk a little bit more about this actual work later in the interview. But I first wanted to, I guess, know a bit more about your background and you originally studied fine art in Poland. Yes. How did you become interested in art and design and what was the driving force behind wanting to become an artist? As long as I remember, I didn't have this question in my mind that was obvious for me that I'm going to make things with my hands and my eyes and that I'm going to become an artist, even though my parents were not very happy about that. On the beginning, (laughs) I was born and educated in Poland and first years of my career were also happening in Poland because we emigrated from Poland quite late. I was 30 years old, which is not young, to make this kind of decision that was 30 over. When we landed here, that was 1996, so I was already 35 years old. Yeah, that's So as you can imagine, it's not easy to replant your career from different country to different country on this stage, but that's how it was happening. But coming back to the question, I was always interested in drawing and in visual experience. Looking, looking was my passion always. I was just this observer, staring at people, staring at things, staring at scenes happening in front of my eyes. That was my passion, and it translated to recording that experiences as a child too with a lot of weird additions to my drawings when I was small but then when I uh, grew up and started to study my interest turned into the actual world to analyzing how the things work what happens what actually motivates our world to go on and what is the mechanism behind it so the recording of things through drawing allow me to analyze I think and to not only to document the world around me, but also to analyze it more objectively. I try to be objective, even though it's, of course, a utopian idea to be objective <laughs> in general. I studied at the Academy of Fine Arts in Poznan. That is five years course, ending up with master's degree. And this is the art and design because I decided to study printmaking. So the system there is if one decides to study printmaking after the first year, which is a general for all fine art students, they study 
painting and drawing and graphic design little bit and some sculpture, everybody the same, and then you just separate to different disciplines. So because I decided for not graphic design, but fine art graphics or printmaking, I had to, for my second year, study graphic design. And people who decided to study graphic design, they had to study printmaking for the second year. And during the second year, I studied book design and TV design, like how the old graphic structure there and poster and all sorts of graphic art, uh, design art. And then on third year, I moved to the studios where I was studying what I was going to finish with, with my master. So I was studying drawing plus printmaking for the rest of my five years, that was three years of that specific specialization in what I was intending to do at the time. And then, of course, life directs you in different, usually in a little bit different way that you think when you are young. So it happened to be that drawing took over much more than printmaking in my case. And probably one of the factors was that I became really mobile, traveling a lot. So somehow drawing was this immediate response to reality, more like writing, where printmaking requires a lot of technical base, which not always is possible to have when you're on the move a lot. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the genesis of your practice. Can you talk a little bit more about your work, how you make the work, but how and when you came to make this style of art, when it when you got to that point where you had sort of decided that this was to be your practice, has it always, have you always worked in this manner from the beginning or was there an evolution that got uh, you to is, a point? I think when you work, when you're an, an artist and it's a long time practice, practice has to evolve, like mutation has to happen for life to sustain, <laughs> to keep going. So of course, mutation in practice must happen too. My interest in documenting the actual moment of life, because this is the essence of what I do, I'm actually documenting what is happening in this moment, a very, very tiniest moment of time when, when you look at something and see the first shape, which is actually imprinted through your eye, in your brain, and before you name it that this is the E letter there, you just see the shape. So this is my aim, to document this moment, and the process of perception actually gives me the assurance that I'm here now and I'm alive, that this is real thing, that me, I'm real, and this is real. The interest in documenting these moments and the time and to actually splitting the perception into the minute elements of actuality happened when in 1980 I was very, very ill, really critically ill. And I ended up in a hospital. I had an operation and like a surgery. It was just this touch and go thing. And I had to stay in hospital for a longer time after. That was three weeks. And I always liked reading my entire life. So for that three weeks of being there, out of my study time, out of school, I decided to read entire Marcel Proust in the search of lost time. So this book plus the situation where I realized that the life is so fragile and important, that actually shifted everything in my practice. And from you know doing something which would be related to just observation of reality, I just become obsessed with being and with that that is so important to know that you are and that every moment is just one. And you, if you don't pay attention, it will just go and will be lost forever. 
That's why I started to be interested in documenting my time, and the archive started to grow slowly and grow, and wherever I go, I somehow add to this archive of times, of the time space when I'm in, become the drawing, the drawing accumulates and grows and grows, and it will stop when I stop. Your practice extends across a wide range of materials. Obviously, in the cafe here, we have frost drawings on the glass. Mm -hmm. We have wall drawings and ceiling drawings. But you've also worked on paper and cardboard and fabric. And objects. Uh, and objects. Is that evolved in a certain way? Like, did you start working on paper and then expand across onto the walls? Yes, I was, of course, trained traditionally. So what you do, you draw on paper. Mm -hmm when you study and then you've got these sheets. But then I very, very quickly realised that there's this piece of paper that has got a boundary, but reality doesn't have the boundary, so you have to just leave the boundary and extend. So I started to accumulate more of that and more and then add paper and then add something what is beyond paper and then something is hanging on the wall. So when it stops hanging, there is something more. And I think my idea... Behind that expansion was just that this is the reality. Everything which surrounds me, there are some borders of my vision, like wall is the border of the vision, like horizon. So if I could, probably I would love to draw on the sky because that's the border of my vision, but it hasn't got physicality. So everything what has got any physicality is actually your surroundings. And that's important because I believe that if we occupy a certain space, like here, the energy of my body, my living energy, imprints on this stool. And when I leave that stool and get up, it will stay there. It's like imprints, it kind of printmaking, actually. So the energy stays there. So this is the permanent mark. And that's what actually happens with the walls and with the vision. It's mutual action, actually. The wall impacts on you but or your surrounding, but you impact on your surrounding. So it's like with people that if you talk to someone you impact on the person and make impression and the person makes impression on you and it stays there because it will be always there as the remnant in the past. Mm. Yeah. It'd be nice just to talk about this work that we're lucky to be surrounded by today and for people who are listening to this online can see some images on the MPRG website. A Through Grey Room is the title of this work can you talk about the development of this work and how it came about and some of the other ideas behind this work? When I'm invited to work on location, usually the projects in situ, I like them very much actually because they have their own life and I like them very much because of that. I'm usually invited by the institution like here and come to the location or get photographs because sometimes like with Moscow Biennale, for example, I couldn't go there to see the location before I landed to make the work. But sometimes it happens like here. So I come and I see the space and then the work becomes somehow... The work must happen by itself. I don't like to create in advance, to make sketches and premeditate how it will be and this and that. Usually I come and start the first line and then the space reveals the structure. When I came here, you know, you could say, oh, why didn't I just cover the walls and go for it from one side to the other or just draw on some parts and then omit the other? But that was not the character of the space. The character of the space was actually this light, which is here, this combination of two artificial 
from the lamps there and the natural light through the windows. And this light, it formed shapes on the walls. There are shapes there. Now, if I was drawing still, I would just draw these shapes on the ceiling now because they are the drawing to be made. And so all of these shapes which gather together the line structure, they are actually shapes which were cast by light or a little bit by shadow within the space. And, I mean, this structure, I usually have the structure like that in the space where I'm working, and I just follow the space. I try not to overpower my work. I just rather like to have conversation with the reality or with the situation and just document it. Mm. And I guess early on, the discussion that we were having we made some decisions about the colour of the mm. walls and the ceiling as well, so that would become like immersive, an enclosed room. Yes, very important. This, the rooms, there is a series of them. They meant to be the immersive situations, like drawing situations or immersive installations where people actually are coming inside the artwork instead of looking from outside to something. You will become part of it. You are inside the work. And that's important. I just want to create this kind of experience for my viewers or for the guests mm. and participants in this case. What are some of the challenges to making a work like this? Obviously, you were in this space for nearly 10 days making the work. Mm. Visitors could come in and engage with you and talk to you, which presents its own challenges. Do you also have any examples of projects that have been a lot more challenging in terms of their unique location or situation? The challenge is myself, the biggest challenge, which means, I mean, myself in sense of my body and the physicality of the body, because I become more and more anxious when I'm going to the project that something can happen, like I can become sick or if we fly to Moscow, for example, that could be the traffic jam on the way to the airport and we will never catch the plane. There is no, so I'm not going to get there. If I'm not going to get there, there's no work. If there is no work, there is no exhibition or something like that. And that's horrifying. So this is the biggest challenge. I am the challenge to myself that it's impossible, but I try to do everything possible to just make me there, <laughs> just to be there. First thing, and then what happens there, that this war is actually uh, become reality not so long ago, a year ago, in September. We went to Fremantle Art Center to make a very large project for 24 days, constant drawing, 10 hours a day. It was a big project, and the room in isolation, a room without a view, that was the title, that is. And so we arrived, and it was, I had two exhibitions there. That was my printed works exhibition, like the digital prints, plus that installation which was happening for 24 days and going to be open to the public after. And at first, of course, we were working on this printed works exhibition, I mean installation of the works, and that was the opening, and then... Uh, after the opening, the first day of my performance, the performance was different. It was in isolation. I have projects which I make these rooms in isolation, so it means that I'm there in the room. The room is closed, and people can't enter. They can see me on the screen outside, that I'm isolated for the 10 hours. I don't go out except the toilet and just stay there without anything. No furniture, no nothing, just if the room was high, so I had the ladder to go up. And the camera, which was streaming outside to the screens and also to the internet. 
So Friday we arrived, I was making the drawing, everything was working well, and then Saturday was the day where people were coming for talks, open day. Talks with curators, talk with artists, because that was also the print award was open at the same time. So all these exhibitions, they were coinciding. And so Saturday, big day, everybody's coming, all my fans, my friends and curators and everybody. And Saturday morning, I'm waking up and I'm just feeling, I'm not going to get up. This is it. I'm sick. I just can't get up. I got flu. And that was it. And it was horrifying. I was just absolutely horrified. I didn't know what to do. So Longin went to Freeman to do the art center, told them that I'm sick, I can't come. They put the sign, but of course people were disappointed. There was this screen, nothing is going, the artist is not coming sick. I'm thinking, oh my God, what is going to happen? I've got only 24 days in this room. It's just like, this is a serious installation. The room is five, 10 meters by five by five four walls, huge, and I'm sick. So they organized GP to come. We were waiting. The GP supposed to be at 1 p.m. He arrived at 3, and I said to him, look, you have to give me something which will kill this flu, but like in the instant, I have to go tomorrow. Now it doesn't matter. I can collapse there, but I have to be there and draw. And he gave me some kind of horrible antibiotics which probably killed half of my body inside every organ and everything. But next day we went there and just slowly, slowly we just walked through this. But that was this big worry. And I realized that it actually it can happen. You know, it can happen. You just can be not there, and which means that there's no work. The work is actually you laying in bed. <laughs> I incorporated this day into the process because that was what was happening, really. You mentioned your partner in crime just before. <laughs> yeah. I'd really like to know more about your partnership with Longin and who assists you on each project. What is his role in supporting your practice? Uh, we actually we collaborate on my project. Longin is my site manager. He prepares my tools. He assists me on the site. If the project is open to public and I'm unable to talk because sometimes I'm either somewhere high with very strange position and answering the questions would be really difficult or something is happening, Longin can answer questions and mainly what happens for many, many years already, like almost since we met, he documents everything what I do and also our life. So he writes and he documents photographically my work and my processes and that's why everywhere we go we go together and then from the documentation he makes I make another work like printed uh, works or I design books and publications and, and publish the work so we actually we always work and move together we walk we work we talk this is almost like a more than collaborative life <laughs> what do you think about when you're making the work This is this question, and I have to say, I actually observe and listen and look. And if my brain, for even any moment, tried to go somewhere into some oblivion places, I just pull it back because the process has to be focused on the reality. So observation of the reality and the moment through all of senses, hearing and sight and and actually skin too, because if it's cold, I react. I draw different way. You've obviously had many opportunities over your career to exhibit your work, thinking like the Singapore and Moscow Biennales. 
you've had many residencies in America and Australia, mm -hmm. in a lot of collections in Australia as well. I guess I'm interested to know how these opportunities find you and did you have to search out those opportunities earlier in your career? On the beginning, I did. I think I did have to. We were very active in sending out information about what we do. You know, I was preparing like information about exhibition or information about the project and was sending out. But I was also represented by a, a number of commercial galleries, so they somehow they advertised the work by exhibitions and other stuff. But somehow when I started to be more, the project started to be more performative and because I'm quite active of putting things online, thanks to Longin's photographs, there's plenty of images online. People started to find them by asking performance drawing, for example, and then my work pops up. So that somehow that was the stage. I don't even remember when, but some years ago that the opportunities started to come to me. I stopped looking, invitations come. And one of the most interesting examples of that thing, that internet working, was when uh, we actually, on to, in 2013, uh, about September, October, I got a strange email. And it was email from the retail company in Germany called Bonacker Solutions. They sent me this email that they would like to invite me to be their partner on this biggest in the world international trade fair in Düsseldorf. And I was thinking uh, to make the project for them because they are going to have the stand. And they are retail, retail and solutions for retail company located in Germany but having offices in five different European countries. And I was thinking this must be a hoax, you know. You just shouldn't get these kind of things from, you know. Who is, who are they? They don't know me. I never met anybody from them, nobody. And I was thinking, this is weird. So I send them a nice email and because they ask straight away in this first email if I want to and if yes, how much it would be to have me. So I send them this email and stated this crazy price. I thought, I will state this just crazy price. They can't accept. So the, this job continues, but it will finish, of course. And after maybe two weeks, so that was silence, after maybe two or three weeks, the answer came, yes, we want you, just send us the bank account with these numbers and that we can send you money. So that was September, October, November. The money actually arrived on 24th of December, Christmas, and the project happened in February, the year following. And that was five days fair, not open to public, only commercial, huge thing. <laughs> I was there, they prepared for me this ideal performance space. That was, yeah, that was the space, black space, because they saw on internet my project, A Room Without a View at RMIT Gallery from 2013. So they built their stand, for me, actually, there was this black stand with black, flat MDF. Everything was black, even furniture. They built everything, furniture, floor, ceiling, uh, walls, open on two sides. And then in the middle was this table, and in this table was huge screen suspended, and that was the only element which actually related to their activity. Touch screen where their clients could see their projects. The rest was me standing there and drawing, 
and they were doing business. They had tables inside, people were coming, all these men in suits, and they were just doing business, and I was drawing and documenting what was happening. And then, on the end, they were very happy, and they told me that the previous two fairs, they were very unsuccessful, they were really worrying because that was crisis around the world, they didn't make any business, they spent a lot of money on the fair, didn't make business, this is not good. So they decided to be a little bit creative. And because they are creative company, they are open to collaborate with their clients on different levels, like not one product. They can actually connect you with different suppliers or they design shops or they design actually communication. So they decided that they have to show that they are creative. And what is the best way to show that they are creative? They actually have creative person who creates something on the spot. And they are creative in their business. And they had the best fair ever. They made a lot of contracts. They were so happy. And I was best paid ever also. (laughs) Yes, they paid double, actually, Longin's right. Yes, because the money was actually what I asked them. That was for hotel and transport and per diem, everything, and plus artist fee. And when we arrived, they paid for the hotel, for transport, for food, for everything. That, that was good. That was interesting, but scary. I was scared. I mean, we are going to the unknown. You don't know. This is not art-related. Nothing. Nothing. A lot of your projects, especially the long-term installations, are obviously very physically and mentally tiring. How do you unwind at the end of a project? We go home, and I switch on the eye view or the... ABC on demand and watch films, film after film after film after film. <laughs> especially, especially crime drama I love. <laughs> now, finally, what is the one thing you wished you knew when you were just starting out? I'm happy that I didn't wish to know what my future brings. I don't know what would be beneficial. Maybe one thing which is unorthodox and horrible to say, but I think it would be good if I knew that being a woman, it's going to be harder to go on and to do what I really intended to do. That was from my observation, and I'm in quiet observation because I was never fighting feminist. But from my quiet observation, as not fighting feminist, it proved to me that no, it would be, I think, faster a little bit, sometimes easier, sometimes less bumpy. But I love to be a woman because I can wear more beautiful clothes than men can. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again, Gosha, for this wonderful project and for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode four of our conversation series. Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is the region's major cultural facility and is supported by Mornington Peninsula Shire and other partners. Visit mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au to find out about our latest exhibitions and events. In the next episode, Danny will be talking to artist Tom Polo about his mural inspired by the MPRG collection. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode.